Okay. Okay. A uh, a Sunday school teacher decided to have her her young class memorize one of the most quoted passages in the Bible, the 23rd Psalm. She gave the youngsters a month to learn the chapter. And little Ricky was excited about the assignment. But he just couldn't remember the psalm. After much practice, he could barely get past the first line. On the day that the kids were scheduled to recite the 23rd Psalm in front of the church, little Ricky was nervous. When it was his turn, he stepped up to the microphone and said proudly, The Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I need to know. From the mouth of babes. The Lord is my shepherd, period. As the Psalm of David explains, the Lord is our shepherd who leads us to green pastures, leads us to still waters, the places we want to go, but he also leads us through the valley, the valley of the shadow of death, a place we would just as soon avoid. But we are told, even as we pass through the valley, the Lord is still with us. The Lord is my shepherd. And that's all I need to know. We are making our way through the book of Habakkuk. And maybe Habakkuk needs to have a little chat with little Ricky. That's kind of what I'm thinking. If you recall, Habakkuk was complaining to God. And complaining about God. Regarding the people of Judah. Habakkuk didn't like what he saw in the nation. For God's people had become wicked and violent and corrupt. The nation had become full of hate and anger and fighting. They appeared to be coming apart at the seams. And as far as Habakkuk could tell, God wasn't doing anything about it. Habakkuk was distressed and frustrated, and he took his complaint to God. Well, God responded and explained he was aware of the behavior of his people. In fact, God had forewarned his people about their behavior. From prophet after prophet, he had warned them about their wickedness, and yet they ignored his warnings. And unbeknownst to Habakkuk, God was raising up the dreaded Babylonians to serve as his rod of correction. That stunned Habakkuk because the Babylonians were more wicked than the people of Judah. And he could not understand how a good and holy and righteous God could use evil people for His divine purposes. This whole thing seemed wrong. But God assured Habakkuk 
It was all part of His divine plan. And in due time, the Babylonians would get what's due to them as well. As we finished chapter 2, God is in His holy temple. He's in control and God tells Habakkuk to hush. Habakkuk had been given God's answer. The Babylonians are still coming to punish the people of Judah. So for a time, it will appear that evil has triumphed over good. But it's only for a time. It's only temporary. And God is still in control. God knew His ways didn't make sense. But God's desire was that the righteous live by faith. Habakkuk didn't need to understand everything. There's no way he could. Instead, he needed to live by faith and to be reminded of who his faith is in. Even though Habakkuk was concerned and confused about the ways of God, he found comfort and confidence in the character of God. For God is true and perfect in all of His ways. He makes no mistakes. He is righteous and good, gracious and kind-hearted and merciful. God is patient, slow to anger, unfailing in His great love. And He is ever faithful. God is forgiving. And yet, at the same time, He is holy and just. And He hates sin. He cannot ignore it. So as we concluded chapter 2, in summary, it was as if God was saying, Habakkuk, hush. I know my ways are confusing and frustrating. But you know me. So can you trust me? This interaction with God appeared to be a turning point for Habakkuk. Because from this point on, the tone of the book changes. Or better yet, Habakkuk changes. His perspective is different. And his focus is now on God who is in His holy temple and in control, rather than the circumstances that seem to be out of control. And that brings us to chapter 3. Chapter 3. So, if you have your Bible, turn to Habakkuk, toward the end of the Old Testament, chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3. And we're going to begin with verse 1. Everybody there? Okay. And it says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigainoth. That was a hard one. I had to look that one up. Shigainoth. We're told this is a prayer... It's a prayer of Habakkuk according to Shiganoth. I don't know the exact meaning of that word, Shiganoth. But most sources I found say it is a musical term. 
It is a musical term related to an emotional or excited or passionate song. Now further in this chapter, we also find the word selah, mentioned three times, which is also a musical term, which I believe means a pause, to pause, to to think about it. So this prayer is to be put to music, like a a hymn or, or a psalm. So maybe, maybe Larry, maybe Larry would be bold enough, crazy enough to want to sing chapter three. I I don't know. (laughs) He's given me the look. So apparently that's a no. (laughs) But let me just say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. So you can probably thank me later. Okay. I'm not going to try singing it. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway, Habakkuk continues and he says in verse two, Lord. I have heard the report about you and I fear. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. Stop right there. Habakkuk had had heard loud and clear God's intention to discipline Judah and to destroy Babylon. He's got the message. He's got it. And he is awestruck. And then here, and only here, in this entire prayer, does Habakkuk make two requests. The first was, revive your work. In other words, God, like you have done in the past, after trouble comes, renew your people. Secondly, Habakkuk asked that in wrath, remember mercy. This request is based off the first request. And it's a plea for God's mercy. God, when trouble comes, do what comes natural to you. Be merciful. Taken in, taken in whole, this prayer might sound like this. Lord, Your fame precedes you. And after dealing with you, I hear you. I get it. I get it. I know that trouble is coming and it's hard to think about. But Lord, you got to do what you got to do. I'm not going to argue about it anymore. But Lord, when trouble comes, when the ungodly come against your people, whatever comes this way, help me through it. Help your people through it. In your wrath, in your wrath, Remember your mercy. And when the dust settles, revive your work in me and in your people. I think that's what's being expressed here by Habakkuk. Now in verses 3 through 15, 3 through 15 we have what many describe as a theophany. A theophany. Which literally means an appearance of God. 
it seems that Habakkuk has had some type of close encounter with God. Maybe something like a vision of God. And in this vision, he sees this image of God and he's reminded of what God has done in the past. Focusing on the exodus, the time in the wilderness, and the crossing into the promised land. And after this vision of God, Habakkuk breaks out in this song. Very similar to How Great Thou Art. A song about seeing God in the rearview mirror. I have said to you on a few occasions, sometimes it's difficult to look forward to see God at work in our lives. Because it's easy to get distracted with our troubles and lose sight of God. Sometimes it's easier to look back to the past to see God's work. And that's what Habakkuk is going to do here. So let's work our way through this theophany reflected in song starting with verses 3 and 4. 3 and 4. We are told, God comes from Taman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of His praise. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hand and there is and there is the hiding of his power. In this passage Habakkuk described God as coming from Taman, which means territory in the south. And it likely represents the region of Edom or the area south of the Dead Sea. In regard to Mount Paran, according to most sources, this describes the wilderness area south of Judah and north of Mount Sinai. But it could also be another name for Mount Sinai where Moses received the Ten Commandments. Whatever the case may be, taken together, Habakkuk is using these geographical references to describe God's movement and presence with his people in bringing them out of Egypt, wandering with them through the wilderness and entering into the promised land. This is consistent with God's character. Although God will punish His people like a father punishes his children, God does not abandon His people. God moves with them. He is in their midst. We are also told that God's splendor, His glory, His power light up the sky. Covering the heavens and the earth. Rays of lightning flash from his hands. And yet, the full extent of God's power is hidden from us. We can't comprehend his glory and power. Yet we should never forget that he is our father who is with us. No matter what, He will never leave us nor forsake us. In 1989, the Armenian earthquake needed only four minutes to flatten the country and kill 30,000 people. 
right after the quake stopped, a father raced to the elementary school to save his son. When he got there, he saw the building had been flattened. Looking at all the stones and rubble, he remembered a promise he had made to his son. No matter what happens, I'll always be there for you. Driven, he found the area closest to his son's room and began to pull back the rocks. Other parents started arriving and began weeping for their children. It's too late, they told the man. You know they're dead. You can't help. Even a police officer urged him to give up. But the dad refused. For eight hours, 16 hours, 32 hours, then 36 hours he dug. His hands were raw, his energy gone, but he refused to quit. Finally, after 38 wrenching hours, he pulled back a boulder and heard his son's voice. He called his son's name, Armin, Armin. A voice answered him, Dad, it's me. Then the boy said these priceless words, I told the other kids not to worry. I told them, if you were alive, you'd save me. And when you saved me, they'd be saved too. Because you promised, no matter what, I'll always be there for you. Even though trouble is coming, God is still with His people. And after His purposes are fulfilled, He will come to their rescue just like He promised. Let's continue with verses 5 and 6. 5 and 6. Before Him goes pestilence and plague comes after Him. He stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. Yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. Here, Habakkuk pictures God's holiness and justice as he moves through the land. Looking backwards in the past, this appears to be a reference to the pestilence and the plagues that came upon Egypt before the Exodus. But it's also a warning to those who try to resist God. Just as God delivered His people in the past from Egypt and led them through the wilderness, giving them victories over the nations, nations mightier than they were, God will continue to trample those who come against Him and His people. These nations, like the people of Jericho, thought they were unmovable, like ancient mountains and hills. But like ancient mountains and hills, they were merely the work of God's hands. For He is eternal. God's ways are everlasting, so everything will fall down before Him. Nothing can stand against God. Then in verses 7 through 10, Habakkuk tells us, I saw the tents of Cushion under distress, the tent 
curtains of the land of Midian were trembling. Did the Lord rage against the rivers? Or was your anger against the rivers? Or was your wrath against the sea that you rode upon your horses on your chariots of salvation? Your bow was made bare. The rods of chastisement were sworn. Selah. You cleaved the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and quaked. The downpour of waters swept by. The deep uttered forth its voice. It lifted high its hands. The two nations mentioned here, Cushion and Midian, were selected to represent how nations that opposed God feared for their lives. They heard about God and they were terrified. Here God is portrayed as a warrior who delivers his people. And the question is asked, Did the Lord rage against the rivers? Or was your anger against the rivers? Or was your wrath against the sea? The purpose of God's power over the elements was the salvation of His people. God wasn't angry with the streams or the rivers or the seas. He wasn't mad at them. But like a warrior with his bow out of its sheath, ready to fire an arrow, God rolled in like a violent thunderstorm and he used the streams and the rivers and the seas to express his wrath and his power and to deliver his people. I imagine Habakkuk thought how God had used the Nile River. How he used the Red Sea and even the Jordan River for his purpose. God is in control for even the streams and the rivers and the seas and the mountains like Mount Sinai quake and submit to him. Now this next verse might jog your memory a little bit. Look at verse 11. Sun and moon stood in their places. They went away at the light of your arrows, at the radiance of your gleaming spear. If you really want to consider the power of God, this reference is something to think about. I believe this refers to the experience that is found in Joshua chapter 10, verses 12 through 14, where we are told, and let me read this, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, O son Stand still at Gibeon, O moon in the valley of Ayalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Yashar? And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. There was no day like it before or after it. When the Lord listened to the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Even the sun and the moon are under God's control. All forces of nature, the mountains, the rivers, the streams, the sea, the sun, and the moon, all acknowledge the sovereign God and yield to Him. 
Then beginning in verse 12, we read, In indignation, you marched through the earth. In anger, you trampled the nations. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You struck the head of the house of evil to lay him open from thigh to neck. Selah. Think about that. You pierced with his own spears the head of his throngs. They stormed in to scatter us. Their exultation was like those who devour the oppressed in secret. You trampled on the sea with your horses on the surge of many waters. In these last verses, Habakkuk lists the many ways that God has defeated his foes to deliver his people. And notice the phrases that Habakkuk uses when speaking about God. You marched on the earth. You trampled the nations. You went forth. You struck the head. You pierced and you trampled the sea. This is what God did on behalf of his people. Justice is certain, judgment is coming, and God's plans will be fulfilled, even plans for our salvation. So let me summarize what we've covered this morning. I know we've done a lot. In this song, Habakkuk is reminded of the mighty acts of God in the past. He's reminded of the long story of Israel's history. He's reminded of the captivity in Egypt. He's reminded of the Red Sea. He's reminded of the wilderness experience and the defeat of many nations as God's people wandered. He's reminded how God led them and brought them to the promised land. He's reminded of the faithfulness of God. Why would Habakkuk be reminded Of all these things. Because it helped him to cope. With the uncertainties. And the trouble. That's on the horizon. You see Habakkuk. Stopped struggling. With what he didn't know. And started remembering what he did know. And instead of worrying about why things were happening and why God was doing this and why God was allowing that, Habakkuk remembered how God had worked in the past. And even though Habakkuk did not understand God's ways, And even though he was not overjoyed about the Babylonians, he could not doubt God's wisdom and love and power and faithfulness to his people. It was true for Habakkuk. And it is just as true for you and me as well. When you don't know Where God is. Or what he's doing in your life. When your circumstances seem to be crashing down on you. When you have lost sight of God. Do what Habakkuk did. Look in your rearview mirror. To see what God has done in your past. If God has worked in your past, then He is working in your present. 
and he will be working in your future. So where does that leave you in the meantime? The righteous will live by faith. I want to close this morning by reading the hymn, How Great Thou Art. O Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. When through the woods the forest glades I wander. I hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur, I hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. And when I think that God His Son not sparing sent Him to die. I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing He bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. When Christ shall come, with shout of acclamation, and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, My God, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art, how great thou art, how great thou art. Let's pray. Yes, Father, how great Thou art. We should be used to saying that. 
For you are great. You are awesome. You are worthy of our praise. We can't comprehend your splendor. We can't even fathom your power. Our finite minds can't even get our hands around that. It is hidden from us. But we know enough to say how great thou art. And Father, you proved how great you are by sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for the sins of the entire world. I think maybe your love is actually greater than your power. That's unimaginable. You love us that much that you sent your son in our place for our sin. How great thou art. Father, like you did with Habakkuk, In those times when life is confusing, when you don't make sense, even when it seems like you're wrong, Lord God, Father, give us a vision of you. Give us a glimpse of you. Help us to see you for who you are. And Father, help us to, if necessary, look back. And to see your mighty work in our lives. Help us, Lord God, to be reminded of what you've done. You love us that much. I thank you, Father, we can trust you. You are who you say you are. You will do what you say you will do. For you are the Lord God Almighty. How great thou art. May you be honored and glorified this morning. And I thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I hope that was uh, meaningful for you this morning. I really do. I'm just like you. Sometimes I just lose sight of God. Absolutely. Sometimes I get so distracted about my circumstances and my troubles, I forget I forget who I serve. I forget who holds me in his hands. He is that great. I just forget. And even though I forget, He is still so loving and so patient and so kind because that's who he is. We've learned thus far through Habakkuk, when in doubt, when God doesn't make sense, remember his character. Think about his character, right? He is good and he is righteous and he is holy. He is long-suffering and patient. He is glorious. He is forgiving. That's his character. When God doesn't make sense, remember his character. That's what brought Habakkuk along. That's what caused Habakkuk to change his mind. And then he sung his song about looking at God in the rearview mirror. Sometimes God is clearer in the mirror. Sometimes he's clearer in the mirror. He loves us. He really does. How great thou art. I hope God is is working in your in your heart, in your life this morning. I really do. If he's spoken to you, I just pray that you'd respond to him, however that may be. However that may be. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're just going through the motions. You come to church, just going through the motions. But there's nothing happening here. There's nothing happening in here. 
Maybe you really don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I would love to introduce you to Him. Maybe you're looking for a church home. You want to call this your home. Then do that. Maybe you need prayer. I would love to pray with you. Whatever God has placed on, in, on your heart, I just ask that you'd respond to Him in obedience. That's all I ask of you. So as Larry leads, Larry and Autumn leads, just respond to God in faithfulness. Let the, have Autumn come over. Um, you, you all know Autumn. She's the one that carries the worship team. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was just too easy. I just had to, you know, Larry walked out. So I was like, get, get Larry. It's right now. No, um, Autumn, Autumn, I've been talking to her for a little while. And uh, she knows Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Actually, she was baptized uh, at 12, 12 years old, right? Uh, but now she's a young adult. And she wanted to make the decision for herself. And so she wants to join Amboy Baptist Church. She wants to make this her home. And uh, I'm so happy to have her. Uh, and again, Larry needs all the help he can get. So I appreciate, appreciate that. <laughs> oh, th- oh, hi, Larry. <laughs> so, so all in favor of uh, accepting uh, Autumn into our church, say aye. That's that's unanimous. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. And it looks like we're going to have uh, three baptisms now on on fa- on Father's Day. Uh, Kylie is uh, she wants to be baptized as well. And uh, yes, so this is this is uh, this has been a good a good morning. Uh, God is good, isn't he? God is good. Uh, as you see, uh, this is the first the first uh, Sunday of the month, and we are going to uh, participate in communion, the Lord's Supper. So, if our servers will come on up, as as the uh, servers are are uh, distributing the the elements, uh, just take uh, take the time and this and this quietness to just reflect on what. Christ has done in your heart, what He has done in your life, but also take this time maybe to to just to reflect on maybe those areas that just might not be right, just might not be right, and make it right. Just open yourself up to the Lord and allow Him to speak to you. Everybody been served? Okay. It's, uh, it's rather fitting that our, our sermon was about thinking about the past, right? Remembering what God has done in the past. And isn't that what communion is all about? Remembering what God has done for us? He sent His only Son, a sinless Son, to pay a sin debt He did not owe. Because we had a sin debt. I had a sin debt that I could not pay. I could not pay. He paid it all. His work on the cross finished, completed. And He asks us to remember Him. Because that does something. And before he went to the cross, he spent some time during an evening with his disciples. Had one last supper with them before before he was to go to the cross. They were celebrating Passover. And Jesus changed the whole meaning of it. The whole meaning. And he took the bread and he said, this bread... Although they didn't recognize it yet, he said, this bread represents my body. My body. The body that's going to be going to the cross, it will be broken for you. Nails will be placed in it. A spear will enter my side. This body 
was broken for you. And he told his disciples, eat. May we do likewise. And then he took the cup, which represents his blood. But more importantly, it represents the new covenant. Not the old covenant, but the new covenant. Whereby we may be made right with God by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Mind-boggling, isn't it? By faith, we are made right. We are declared righteous. Declared righteous. Innocent in God's eyes. Because of the work of Christ. The finished work of Christ. And he told his disciples, this is my blood. Drink. May we do likewise. Thank you for coming this morning. Let me, let me pray for our, for our offering. Uh, just remind you, we have our baskets uh, back there at the door for offering. And then also I'm going to pray for our fellowship. we got plenty of food uh, back there. got a cake as well. So I hope you can stay and enjoy that. So, Father, I thank you so much for your love and your mercy. I thank you, Lord God, for your watchfulness over us. I thank you, Lord God, for your forgiveness. I thank you for Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to live our lives for you, to be about your business, to love one another. It's about your kingdom and your will, not ours. May you be honored and glorified. Father, I pray that as we we give back a small portion of what you have given us in our tithes and offerings, Lord God, I pray that you would bless your money. It is yours. We are your church. This is your church. Father, give us wisdom and insight in how to use the money that comes in. May we use it wisely. Bless the giver, Lord God, and bless the gift. And Father, for our fellowship, Father, bless the food that's been prepared for us. Thank you, Lord God, for those who prepared it. Bless it to our bodies, Heavenly Father. And I pray, Lord, that our fellowship time would be sweet. Thank you, Father, for who you are and what you do. And I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.